Well, good morning, Papado. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing all right? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. Before we kind of dive in today, I just want to let you guys know that uh, next weekend, we have some incredible news that we want to share with you guys. It's going to be an absolutely unbelievable weekend. Um, let me just say, you're not going to want to miss next weekend. It's going to be like one of those historical weekends. We got something planned that's going to kind of blow your mind. So next weekend, make sure you're here and make sure you bring everybody that you know that comes here that skips out on some weekends. They need to come with you next weekend. Everybody say, I'm going to be here next weekend. Okay, that wasn't everybody, but that's close enough. Like, just put it in your mind. Just know that like, you miss next weekend, you're going to miss you're just going to miss, okay? And like, I'm just going to tell you, fear of loss sucks. And so like, I'm like, you're going to fear losing out on something that's only going to happen next weekend. So be here for that. We're in this series called Relationship Goals, talking about the value of relationships. How do we have amazing relationships? Because this is what I know is that all of us want great relationships in life. All of us want to have some incredible relationships, and we're always searching to fill uh, that relational void that's in our life because we are designed for relationship by God. Like, that's why he created us to have relationship. And so, therefore, we are always longing to find somebody to fill that relational gap in our life. And, and this is what I know, whether you're single, you're married, we, we all have a desire, whether it's friendship, family, marriage relationships, it's, it's something that's just ingrained within us that we want meaningful relationships. Now, I remember as a little kid, I remember my first crush. Does everybody else remember their first crush that they had when they were little kids? I was, well, all the teenagers are like, yeah, I remember that. It was like two weeks ago, um, you know. But uh, I remember it was in elementary school. I had my first crush. It was, it was the girl's name was Jenny. And, and I was like, man, if I could just, if I could just, like, Jenny, like, it would just be amazing. Like, if, if Jenny was my girl, then it would just, it would just change my life. And so, starting to think about that, I was looking on the internet, and I found this love letter from a little boy named uh, Bennett that he sent to this girl named Bailey. And this is what he wrote to her, maybe, possibly. Here it is. He says, Bailey, will you please come to my house? Let's play together. I think you're pretty like a horse or a ladybug. I'm not sure which. He's going to figure out which at some point. Like, he just doesn't have much game yet. He says, you should come to my house and eat cheeses with me. So he's going to wine and diner. I love you, and I lost a tooth last night. I think I would like to do a magic trick for you and then let you watch me battle robots. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty awesome date to me. Like, hey, I'm going to wine and dine you, and then I'm going to let you watch me battle robots. And so uh, he's trying to impress a girl from the get-go. Bennett's got a little bit of game going on there. Kind of sounds like the perfect date. But I think from the time that we arrive on this planet, we want to love someone, and we also want to be loved by someone. And, and it's like the sign that I have right here. It's the word love, and there's a heart that's there, and there, instead of the O, it's a heart for the O and the word love, because we go into relationships, and we go into life thinking, man, there's this void in our life, in our heart, and we're hoping that someone, someplace, somehow, some way can fill that void that we have, and give us what we're missing in our life. And so we search and we look and we look and we search and we long and we hope that at some point somebody's going to come in and do that. And so we go from relationship to relationship trying to find that peace 
that is missing in our life. And in that, we end up with a lot of hurt. We end up with a lot of brokenness. We end up with a lot of despair. We end up with a lot of things that we weren't expecting because we're trying to fill a void in our life. And so we end up with a lot of baggage in our lives. And studies show that the average person has seven to eight serious relationships before they ever get married. So that means that every single person out there has seven to eight exes in their life, significant exes, and, and we all know what happens when you get into a marriage. There's, there's not like it's all hunky-dory from there. Like there's some, still some struggles in there, and so we can end up with a lot of baggage. In fact, I found that they, they, they showed the average person goes on two blind dates. They have four disastrous dates. They get stood up at least once. They get their heart broken twice, and that's before they ever even get married. And so then marriage comes along, and you find out that that person's going to disappoint you a lot if you have a lot of expectations on them. And so we accumulate all of this stuff in our hearts, and we're walking around with it. And if we don't learn how to deal with the brokenness that comes from those relationships in our heart, then what will happen is we'll walk into every relationship hoping that somebody's going to give us significance, hoping that somebody's going to bring us worth, hoping that somebody is going to meet all of our emotional and physical needs in life, and they're going to bring us security, and they'll bring us happiness, and they'll help us feel good about ourselves, and, and they'll bring us joy. But anybody that has a healthy relationship will tell you that that just is not true. You're never going to find that from that person because no person was designed and wired to fill all those needs that are in your heart. It's just not possible. So today what I want to do is I want to look and, and find out how we can experience a full and complete heart in our life and how we can do that through our relationship with God. And as we develop that, we'll be able to move forward so that no matter at what point in time God brings a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, a family into our lives, that we'll be ready to experience that because we have a full heart. And so we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2 today. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Paul is talking to the, to the church in Colossae. And he's talking to them about their, their significance and their worth and their value in Christ. And this is what he says in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. And he says, Now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Now, I just want to sit here for a second, so just leave that verse up. He says, like, as you have accepted Christ, and a lot of us in here, we have accepted Christ. Maybe you do that through a prayer in church. Maybe you do that through a friend. They help lead you to Christ. Maybe you did that a long time ago when you were at camp or something. You, you said a prayer. Maybe there's some of you in here today that you've never accepted Christ, and you're going to have an opportunity to do that later in the service, and, and that's an exciting thing for you as you're on this journey of figuring out your faith story. But for those of us who have accepted Christ, he's saying, listen, that, that's one part of it, but there's more to it. You got to continue to follow him. It says, so after you accept Christ, what he's saying is happening is positionally, your heart is full. When you accept Jesus, your heart positionally with God is full. It means you've received forgiveness, you have grace, you have a purpose and a plan through God in your life. Like God is fully in you and fully a part of your life. And so positionally, 
you're there. Now, experientially, you might not have all those things. You might not have forgiveness. You might not have freedom experientially. He says all of this stuff experientially is going to take some work. That's why he says you got to follow Christ. So it's not just about accepting Christ. Because when we accept, positionally, our heart is aligned. But experientially, the reality of our life is, is that it's going to take some work for us to follow him. And as we follow him, we'll experience freedom and grace and mercy and forgiveness in totality of our lives rather than just in our hearts. And so he says, Paul continues on and he says, let your roots grow down into him. And when you start thinking about roots, you start thinking about planting something. And Paul is referring that, man, as individuals, we need to plant ourselves in Christ. It's not just about accepting Christ as a believer, but it's about accepting and following him and planting ourselves into him. It's why we say it's so important for people to get involved in community. It's so important for you to get plugged into a church because the worst thing that can happen to a plant is you plant it. As it starts growing, you grab it, you rip it out of the ground, and you put it in something else, and you rip it out of the ground. It never gives the plant any chance to have its roots go down deep to grow strong and ready to to produce the fruit that it was intended to produce. And so he's saying, man, you're going to allow the roots to go down deep, which means you need to get plugged in and stay in one spot. In fact, in researching, I found this statistic that says that, that people, married couples, that go to church weekly together divorce at a 50% less rate than the national average. You want to know why they, they divorce at a less rate? Because they've realized that when they get planted and they get rooted in God together, it eliminates a lot of the friction that comes in their lives because they're building their marriage not on just their relationship with one another, but they're building it on their relationship with Jesus and other people. And it makes a huge difference. And so if you want to have your marriage odds uh, just escalate up another 25% up to 75% success rate, come to church every single week with your spouse and learn together and grow together and get planted in a community that's going to encourage you to grow in that. And so he says, man, put your roots down deep. And that takes some time. That's not an instantaneous thing. Then he says, let your lives be built upon him. And so he goes from this this planting idea to a construction idea. He says, listen, the most important thing in constructing anything in life is the foundation. And you think about building homes down here in South Florida. We're, we're on like a swamp because we're right next to the Everglades. And so it's really murky. And so if you look around, you see a lot of cracks in houses. Why? The foundation is settling. And because the foundation wasn't built on solid ground, it's moving. And therefore, it's causing all kinds of structural problems in homes. He's saying, listen, if you don't want to have structural problems in your relationships, if you don't want to have cracks in your relationships, what you do is you build it upon a foundation that's strong, and the strongest foundation there is, is Christ. He's saying you've got to build, you've got to set yourselves on that. And that will help you have this full heart. And he goes, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense like politics. Don't let them capture you with that. That comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete. Now, isn't that what we all want? 
We all want to be complete. It's, all, it's like Jerry Maguire. We all want that line. You complete me. That's what we're looking for. We just know that that's a bunch of baloney. Because no person can complete us. But it says right here, you're complete when? Through your finding of the perfect man or woman? No. Through looking cute, ladies? No. I mean, that's good. Guys, through, through getting a raise at your job? No. He says, you're complete through your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority. See, our culture says it's everything on the outside. That's what everything is about. And, and right here, what, what we're learning and what we're looking at today is, is something that I don't have to share with you that's a new principle. In fact, this is a very, very old principle, and it's rich, and it's true. And, it, and it's the fact that your completeness in life comes solely and completely through Christ, not external things. And so when I hear people say, man, I, I, I want you to help me make my marriage better. What I would tell you is when you go and you make your, your union with Christ complete, this is what I know is that your marriage will get better. Will you say, well, I want better friendships and relationships with people. Well, go and make your union with Christ more complete. And this is what's going to happen is your, your relationships with other people are going to get better. Will you say, well, I want to learn how to be content in my singleness. And I would say, man, go make your union with Christ complete. And what will happen is you'll start to find contentment in the midst of your singleness. It's that simple, and it's the biblical answer to every problem we have in life. Now, actually living that out is a heck of a lot harder than what I just said. Now, I think most of us would agree with that because of the pain that we've experienced, because of the hurt from our past relationships. But at the end of the day, it, it comes back to allowing Christ to dig down deep inside of us and root and allow that foundation to be set so that our life becomes full and complete with Christ rather than trying to fill it with other things that just break our heart. So when you do come to a relationship and you do meet somebody that is absolutely amazing and you're like, oh my gosh, they're gonna blow my mind, you know, like you're not looking to them for your significance. You're not looking to them for your worth. You're not looking for them to them for praise and adoration. You're not looking to them for for acceptance because you get all of those things from Christ. Because you've allowed your roots to grow deep and you've built that foundation. And when we do that, we position ourselves in a place where anything can happen and we're ready for any relationship that comes into our lives because we know where we get the source of who we are from. It's from Christ. So making this a little bit simpler, how do we actually make that happen? How do we make that union with Christ happen in our lives? If you're taking notes, um, the first fill in the blank there is we have got to love God with a full heart. We've got to love God with a full heart. Um, anybody in here ever get uh, a little grumpy when they get hungry? Anybody, anybody out there get grumpy when they get hungry? Anybody out there get, uh, get a little frustrated, maybe even a little angry when they get hungry? Any angry people? Like you just, like I found that angry, like people that get angry when they're hungry just like want to bite other people's heads off. 
You ever notice that? Um, they, they've actually said that when, when you're hungry, like if you're off of your meal times for an hour or two, what happens in your body is your adrenaline starts jacking up. Your blood sugar is all over the place. And so like when, you're, when you are going without food, it, it messes with you. In fact, they came up with a term for this state of being, and they call it hanger, H-A-N-G-E-R. And it's, it's being hungry and angry at the same time. And so some of us, what happens is, is in life, when we don't get enough food, we become very hangry. And we just bite people's heads off and we're, we're like ferocious. I think the same thing happens in our spiritual life as well. When we don't have this completion because we were made spirit and body, when we're not getting spiritually fed, when we've gone some time without connecting with our Savior, what happens is we get spiritually hangry in life if we don't fill that void in our lives. And the only thing that can fill that is, is God. Uh, emotions can't fill that. Friendships can't fill that. A drug can't fill that. Even though we'll try to fill that with those things, the only thing that can fill that, that spiritual hanger in our life is a connection with God. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm in a season of life where I'm learning how to stop and reflect a lot more. Uh, I have a tendency to be very, very driven in life. And because I'm driven in life, I'm not only living like for where I'm at right now, but I'm like 17 steps ahead of where I want to be. And because I'm 17 steps ahead and I'm, I'm driving towards that goal, a lot of times I miss out on the moment. And I miss out on what God is doing right there. And so in this season of my life, I've been taking a lot of time to just stop in the middle of the craziness and the busyness and the drivenness and go and just saying, God, what are you trying to do right now? And in the middle of doing that, I've found so much joy. I've, I've found so much contentment. I, I find myself smiling a lot more, enjoying the process because I'm starting to realize that every day that I have that I get to walk this earth is this incredible gift from God that I get to experience him in a real and meaningful way. And as I do that, the, the spiritual hanger that so easily comes upon me starts to dissipate. But for so many of us, we're so busy in life, we have this spiritual hanger that comes on to us. If we're not finding ourselves, filling ourselves with God. There's this guy named Dr. John good man, and he runs a, a thing called the Love Lab. And uh, what he does is he takes couples and he analyzes them. He watches their body language. He watches their facial expressions. He watches their eye movements. He's got all these analytical things that he, he looks at um, from their tone of voice to how they talk to one another. And he, he claims that within 30 minutes of meeting and watching a couple, that with 90% accuracy, he can determine whether they will make it long-term, which is pretty amazing. So if like you're dating somebody, you might want to go out to wherever he is and just sit down and, and have him analyze you for 30 minutes because uh, he'll tell you whether you're making it or not. He says that he knows whether somebody will be a master or a disaster of love. Some of y'all are like, oh, I've already proven that I'm a disaster of love. So like, I don't need somebody to tell me that. But here's what's interesting is he says, one of the key ways to know if a couple will make it or not is the generosity of their heart. And how he tells if they're generous of heart is how responsive uh, they are to the other person's bids for attention. And what he means by that is he puts a couple in a room and they, a lot of times there's a window and they have activity happening outside the window. 
And typically what'll happen is like a guy will get up and go to the window and watch everything. And he'll be like, hey, baby, you need to check this out. And if she ignores him, she just ignored his bid for attention. But if she gets up and walks over the window and goes, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, she's giving in to his bid for attention right there. Or if they're sitting there and they're both on their, their cell phones looking at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it may be, and she all of a sudden she goes, <gasps> and lets out this big sigh, it's a bid for attention. And so in that moment, when he hears that, does he look up and go, hey, babe, what's going on? Or how are you doing? Is he giving in to her bid for attention? He says the, the average couples that he see, about three out of 10, actually regularly give in to the other one's bids for attention. And if they give in to the bids for attention, then all of a sudden they will have extremely successful relationships. And the ones that don't, they end up with a whole bunch of drama happening in the relationships. And why is that? Important because for a lot of us, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get somebody else to fill the void in our heart. And so we're bidding for attention all the time. And when they disappoint us, what happens is we feel rejected, we feel abandoned, we feel like leftovers, and all of a sudden our relationships are in turmoil. And what Paul is saying here is instead of relying on somebody else to fill those voids and needs, what you need to do is you need to make your union with Christ complete so that he is filling your heart so you're not looking for attention from somebody else because you're getting all the attention you need from your relationship in God. And because you're getting your relationship with God is so secure and so firm and so intense, you're taking on Christ's nature, which is to serve others. And all of a sudden you're recognizing the bids for attention from other people that are hurting and lost and broken in your world. And you're meeting those needs. And all of a sudden your relational life is elevated. And so Paul was encouraging us right here to love God with a full heart and, and all that you are. And in loving God with a full heart, you'll experience a full heart in your own life. And that'll position you to put away the old you. That will position you to put away your old way of living. Because a lot of us, we're bringing a lot of baggage into relationships. We're bringing a lot of stuff with our past for us. And thank you to technology, uh, we can experience all the baggage that people bring into the world because the internet is like a Jerry Springer show on steroids. And so this week I found some, some of the worst breakup texts out there. And so I thought I'd share a couple with you. Uh, this one says, hey, Jackson, you going to be home soon, hon? Pasta's almost ready. He goes, yeah, I'll be home in 20. Just dropped off my ex. And she goes, um, excuse me, what? And then he goes... She goes, I'm pissed. You promised you wouldn't see her anymore, which is already a bad news in the relationship. And he goes, I meant to write Rx, my prescription at Walgreens. Chill, babe, breathe. And she writes back, I'm going to kill you. It's going to be some trouble there in that relationship. How about this one? Hey, I have to tell you something. Hey, I do too. Okay, let's say it at the same time. One, two, three, boom. Can we break up? Will you marry me? <laughs> First of all, if you're asking anybody to marry you over a text, you got issues as it is, but uh... anyways, here's another one. Hey, I don't think this is really working. I'm breaking up with you. 
She writes back, I'm your wife. You can't exactly break up with me. I'm living in your house. You can just walk over to the other side of the room and tell me you want to get a divorce. So they're sitting on the couch together. And, and he goes, oops, sorry, that was meant for someone else. She goes, oh, okay, wait, what? <laughs> Listen, relationships are hard, aren't they? I mean, we get lied to, we get hurt, we get damaged. And every time, every time junk like that happens, we bring a little bit less of our heart with us into that next relationship. And what we bring instead is we bring a lot of anger, we bring a lot of sarcasm, we bring a lot of hurt. And we've all been through that to some measure and degree. And, and Paul encourages us to move forward here in verse 7. He said, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have been stripped. You have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked, wicked deeds. It says you've stripped off your sinful nature. If you were to go back to the original Greek right there, he's basically saying, like, man, you've got these dirty clothes on that you've got to get rid of and throw away. Like, you're stripping those clothes off and just tossing them. And I, I know exactly what that's like. When I was 19 years old, uh, I went on a mission trip to Haiti, and uh, I was leaving from Miami International just to fly down to Haiti. It's a short trip, and uh, I got to Haiti, and my bag did not arrive. Anybody ever had that on an international flight? It's terrible. I thought to myself, I'm wearing a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. I'm like, oh man, my, my bag will be here tomorrow. Tomorrow comes next day, next day. I'm like four or five days in, my, my clothes still have not arrived. I'm like, American Airlines has the worst service in the world. You know, this, like how do they lose a bag that's a one-way flight from Miami to Haiti? Like how does that work? Like that's incompetence at its greatest. Sorry if you work at American Airlines. Uh, so I end up going through this entire 10-day mission trip wearing the same pair of clothes the entire time. Like, and you know it's getting bad when your jeans start crunching. Anybody ever had that? Like you, like you, they're like, they're just so dirty and they're nasty and you've been sweating in them so long that they're getting hard and crunchy. And, and so like my jeans are crunchy. I remember when I got home, my mom picked me up from the airport and she was like, what's that smell? And I was like, that's me, <laughs> you know? And uh, she's like, man, we need, we need to get that junk off of you. And I remember we got home. We didn't even try to wash those clothes. We just threw them away. Why? Because I was wearing these old, nasty, dirty clothes. But what Paul is getting at here is he's saying, listen, that old, dirty, nasty clothes, that's the old you. And what so many of us do is God gives us this incredible brand new heart, and we dress ourselves with the old, same, nasty stuff that we had before. It's like getting a fresh pair of underwear and putting on those old, stale jeans and that beat-up, stank shirt over it. Like, it, it. like that fresh pair of underwear isn't doing a whole lot of good. Like, you're just, you're just messing it up. And God's saying, you don't have to wear those clothes anymore. And our culture is so obsessed with how we look on the outside. And God's saying, like, listen, that's one way of trying to be beautiful, but I have a better way of trying to be beautiful. And the way that you're beautiful is when you're beautiful from the inside out, not the outside trying to cover up the inside. He says it's time for us to work on the inside, to get rid of some things in life. And he says, man, you need to get rid of anger and rage in your life. And a lot of people deal with this, particularly men. You know, 
so many studies that I've read have shown that when women get hurt in life, they get emotional and they cry for the majority of them. When men get hurt in life, they have a tendency to lash out in anger. And I know that this is true because I've, I've dealt with an anger issue almost all of my life. From, from the time I was in uh, kindergarten, I ended up getting kicked out of kindergarten because I was beating kids up because I was angry. And by the time I was in third grade, I was punching holes in walls because I had this uncontrollable anger in my life that I didn't know how to deal with. Finally, in counseling as, as fifth, sixth grader, my parents realized, this counselor's like, man, you've got to give him an outlet for, for this, this, this anger. And so they let me play sports so I could hurt other kids, you know, and it was okay. And uh, that was great. But how many of y'all know that at some point you get old enough that sports aren't the answer anymore? You got to grow up. You got to deal with that junk. And, and I'll never forget if it was the first or the second year of marriage. And I remember being at Shayla's parents' house, which that right there will get you angry. In-law's house, make you angry. And we were sitting at their dining room table. And, and Shayla did something. And, and I remember grabbing, like very aggressively grabbing her arm. And I don't even know if anybody else even really realized it at that time. But I knew what was going on in my heart. And I was like, oh, crap, man, I got a problem. Like, my anger was starting to boil up again. Something she said just set me off. I remember going, man, I, I, like, I thought that this wasn't a problem in my life anymore. All of a sudden, it was, it was, it was internally, I knew it was a problem. And I remember talking to a, a friend of mine and saying, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I'm dealing with. And I think that a lot of the times that just recognizing the fact that you've got a problem is, is 50% of the victory right there and telling somebody else about it, going, hey, here's my issue. Here's my struggle. All of a sudden, you're starting to have this awareness of it and you can start to deal. You can start to put in place intentional things that you're going to do to make sure that you don't continue to let that happen in your life. And as you're intentional about that, it just kind of seems to work itself out a lot of times. And so maybe in your own life, part of the deal is, is that maybe today you just need to recognize that there's some old you still there that you need to get intentional and authentic about and tell somebody about and go, hey man, this is something that I'm dealing with right here that I need some help on. And just winning half the battle is getting it out there and getting some accountability and somebody else knowing that that struggle is going on in your life. He goes, Next up is malicious behavior, which is this hostility or hateful feelings. And then he says, he talks about slander, which is talking bad about your mate or your friends, which is never a good idea to talk bad, especially about your spouse to somebody else. And he says, he talks about dirty language, which is exactly what you think it is. He says, man, don't say things about your friends, your family, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse that you have to bleep out. It's not healthy. That's the old you. That's the old stuff. You need to take all that stuff off and throw it out because you've got this brand new heart. And what Paul encourages us to do right there is that then he says, man, you need to put on the new you. You need to put on the new you. In Colossians verse 12, he says, since God chose you to be a holy people he loves. I want you to see this right there because he says, what he's saying is, is God's unconditional love for you does not mean God's unconditional acceptance of your current behavior. Like, do you understand that? Like, God loves you unconditionally. Like, there's no conditions to your love, but that doesn't mean that he approves of everything you're doing because he calls all of us to not just live life, but to live a holy life. 
So what does a holy life look like? He says, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, make allowances for other people's faults. It's like, be prepared for people to screw up. That's like a really different thought for us today. We expect people to be perfect. He says, like, hey, make room because people are going to jack things up. Then he goes, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you also must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. See, we can all be daily, be intentional, allowing God to fill our lives. But it's really easy for us to carry the broken parts, the hurts, the unforgiveness, and keep us trapped in this old way of living. So easy to hold on to those things. When I was just turned 23 years old, I was, uh, I felt like God was moving me on from this church job and and I happened to work for a pastor that had been, you know, a spiritual mentor for me. He was, at that time, he was like a spiritual father. And anytime you, you break up, you know, we just sang, we do, when a heart breaks, it don't break even. Have you ever noticed that? It just doesn't do it. I remember walking in and we were sitting outside. I remember telling this pastor, I'm like, hey, I, I'm, I'm giving my two weeks resignation. And I was trying to be the most honorable in the situation. I was trying to do it the right way. And I'll never forget this, this pastor looked at me and he said, TJ, you're never going to amount to anything in life because you're a quitter. coming from somebody that I had so much respect and just loved was one of the most hurtful things that I'd ever experienced in my life. Like, it literally broke my heart right there. Not only did it break my heart, but it left me to this place in my life where, because I was hurt, and it had broken this piece, I had this razor edge to my life. I was abrasive. I struggled big time in any relational setting. In fact, as I was working at this next church, I, I remember telling my pastor, he's like, what do you need to work on? I said, I'm terrible at relationships. Like I hurt people. And I couldn't, no matter what I tried, I couldn't fix it because I was holding on to this, this hurt and this pain. And this hurt and this pain was impacting not only my job performance, but it's hurting my relationship with Shayla. We we're in the third year of our marriage. We we're struggling big time to the point where I remember walking in one day and saying, do you even want to do this anymore? We're just roommates. 
And remember reading this verse right here is saying, when you forgive others, God will forgive you. When you let go of the hurts and the pains and all of those things, it'll change you. And that old saying of holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking a bottle of poison and hoping somebody else will die. It's so true. It was so true in my life. I was dying. And as I started to let go of that hurt and that pain and those words, because they were hurtful, they were painful, they meant something to me. I remember God just prompted me, like, call that guy up. Set a meeting with him. And you go in there and you ask him for forgiveness. And I was like, what, God? No, no, he should be asking me to forgive him. He goes, no, you're the one that's carrying the hurt and the bitter and the anger. He doesn't even know anything about it. See, my unforgiveness was empowering my history rather than me letting it go so I could live in my destiny. I remember walking in there and I humbled myself and I just said, man, will you forgive me? I started letting go of those hurts and those pains. All of a sudden I saw my relational world completely change. My marriage became amazing, almost instantaneously. That isn't everybody's circumstance, but that was my circumstance. I saw relationships get deepened like never before. Because I realized that I had to take some stuff off to put something new on. And as I put on that love and that grace and that forgiveness, man, this new person arose. And there was a fullness in my heart that no other individual could fill but Christ alone. And maybe there's some of you in here today that need to take some things off. Maybe you need to take off some unforgiveness. Maybe you need to take off some anger. Maybe you need to take off some way that you've been talking. Maybe you need to take off some hurts and some pains. I don't know what you need to take off here today, but this is what I do know. The answer to your problem is your union with Christ. 